morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where this program considers things not just outside the box, but in many cases outside the galaxy. And we're going to be doing that tonight. Uh, this is a show I've been looking forward to doing. Uh, finding the right person to do this kind of show is not easy. There are lots of fakers out there. There are lots of pretenders. There's lots of people that just, you know, give lip service to something that I think is really of, of more than passing interest, which is, do we really, after we die, do we come back and if we come back where do we come back um we're going to get into all of that in the third hour we're going to be joined by our resident metaphysician georgia lambert one of my favorite people and i will introduce our guest uh, in a few moments but first i want to call your attention to our news at the top of the hour uh we're leading tonight as we did last night with two very interrelated stories. The first one, of course, is the update uh, on La Palma. I'm really focusing on La Palma because I'm now getting uh, fear porn. And the quickest way to know when something is important and uh, people are trying to be distracted away from it is when they start sending out the fear porn. So let me recapitulate. If you are new to the show, you go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. That will take us to our homepage. And tonight, what you want to do is click on that banner at the top of the page, which basically says, <clears throat> the other side of midnight, if, so you once literally lived on another planet, and now you can't remember when. So, uh, my guest tonight, I'll get to in momentarily, but once you click on that banner, that will take you to the guest page. And right under that banner, which is duplicated on the guest page, you want to click on my name, and that will take you to my section of Radio with Pictures. Top story is the continually refreshed and updated page connected directly to La Palma, to the eruption and seismic events occurring ever since uh, September. There's an update there for October 10th, which, of course, is tonight, Sunday, here in the Land of Enchantment. And um, what's really important about La Palma is in 1949, there was a major earthquake. I forget the magnitude on the Richter scale, but it literally split the island in half. And in the middle of this island, there is a very large uh, uh, volcanic vent which is composed primarily of basalt, which is a heavy uh, iron-rich material. This earthquake in 49 sundered the island, so there is a fault line running through the island from one side to the other. And one half is kind of balanced by friction on the other half, and it will only uh, be dislodged with a major seismic event or major swelling caused by internal gases coming up through the mantle and um, inflating the underground magma chambers under La Palma, which is now what is occurring. There is both a swelling of the island and periodic release of accumulated pressure. There are also seismic events. 
And um, we do not know the magnitude. There's a paper that goes back to the, uh, you know, 50s, maybe a bit later, that basically described the worst case scenario where a seismic event and or a major inflation of the volcano causes about half the island, something like 500 billion tons of basalt to slide at a couple hundred miles an hour when it really gets going into the Atlantic Ocean, which will create what is technically known as a mega tsunami, whose waves will then cross the Atlantic and go north and south through the entire North Atlantic Basin, spilling over into the Southern Hemisphere and the northern shores of uh, South America, uh, obviously the Caribbean islands, um, the inland areas of the Gulf along the coast. And this wave will travel at the speed of sound across the Atlantic and impinge, depending upon how far you are away from La Palma, either in a couple of hours or up to six to nine hours for the east coast of the United States. And as the wave gets close to the shore, as the uh, bottom depth kind of shallows out on the continental shelf, the wave will rise out of the ocean to, I've seen estimates anywhere from 100 feet up to maybe 1,000 feet. It's a uh, it's a rather imprecise calculation depending on a number of factors. And the wave will not be at the same height all over. So it will just sweep inland for many, many miles. Some estimates say it could go inland for as far as 100 miles. Um, if you're living along the coast and about 100 million people are in this danger zone, if this catastrophic event were to occur, and I want to underscore that it's a very low probability, based on the data we're accumulating on the Palma even now, of occurring. But if it did occur, you would have about nine hours to uh, on the east coast of the United States to leave, to get in your car. Obviously, you need to have packed a go bag. You throw that in the car, you take the kids, you take grandma, and you, you get out of Dodge. Um a wiser course of action would be to, if you can, to kind of uh, leave now for the next uh, several weeks as you're watching on social media, this volcano. Now, the reason that I'm so focused on this potential really extraordinary event is in item number two. If you look at item number two, there is a, um, a satellite image uh, taken by one of the... Uh, NASA NOAA environmental satellites and it's a picture of the clouds over La Palma during the eruptions and if you click on the bottom link which is a Twitter li Twitter link it actually shows you a video both from orbit and from the ground showing the plume of material coming up from the volcano hitting what looks like from the ground shot kind of like a glass ceiling which is actually an inversion of warm air that came up a few days ago from the Sahara Desert. Remember, the um, uh, island of La Palma is located a few hundred miles to the northwest of the coast of Africa, so the uh, winds coming off the desert, coming off the Sahara, intermingle over La Palma all the time. Well, this created, in the last few days, an inversion. 
a temperature inversion where instead of going down as you climb in altitude, the temperature keeps going down and then it hits a plateau and then it begins to go up for a while, which is called inversion, meaning the temperature scale is inverted. Instead of uh, falling, it's uh, rising uh, for a time. And this created a kind of a glass ceiling which um, uh, allowed this plume from the volcano to kind of spread out horizontally. So far, so good. But if you look at that image, if you click on that image in item number two, which gives you a larger version, you'll notice that this, this kind of shield of clouds over La Palma is not uniform. And it's not torrugated and speckled and kind of cirrus clouds, which you can see around both in the ocean as well as uh, over to the upper right-hand corner uh, toward Africa. But it appears to have periodic waves. There's light areas and dark areas. It almost looks like you'd thrown a gigantic stone into an even larger pond, and we're seeing the rings, the ripples in the water as the waves move outward from the volcano. That is, in fact, the condensation of water vapor in the atmosphere under this ceiling of temperature-inverted air coming off the Sahara. And those clouds, those ring clouds, are condensed water vapor. They're just ordinary clouds, except they're in a ring-like geometry. This is where things get really intriguing because the rings are caused by periodic pulsations in the emission of that vertical column of ash and gas and dust from the volcano. In fact, if you click on the Twitter link, that will take you to the actual video. And you can see in that first uh, video uh, at the top of the page, the, the ground view, and you can see these clouds spreading outward as a series of expanding rings indicating that the volcano, for some extraordinary reason, is pulsating. In other words, the energy is not coming out continuously like you were boiling, you know, a kettle on the stove, but it's coming out in waves, very low-frequency waves, all of which supports my hyperdimensional torsion field model for how the energy is being pumped into this volcano, either because the natural background physics, the HD physics of the entire solar system is changing and literally changing in this extraordinary wave-like pulsing pattern from the volcano uh, column, or, and this is a very far out idea, that pulsing is being caused by energy being deliberately inputted into the volcano by an invisible torsion field technology, which is pumping energy into La Palma to act as some kind of, well, threat, ransom, a brinksmanship move, a um, cliffhanger, whatever you want to call it. In other words, is someone with torsion field physics deliberately manipulating the La Palma volcano, threatening 
the lives of a hundred million souls around the North Atlantic Basin. Again, these are all very low probability events, but given the visual evidence of this extraordinary low-frequency pulsation, which I have never seen in any other volcano, and I've looked at a lot of them, certainly now when we have satellites, anywhere in the world. So La Palma remains a very special case. And again, put the alarms for La Palma on your smartphone so if something major happens, you will get an alert. There's seismic monitors, there's live TV, there's 24-7 coverage from La Palma. If this thing goes, you will get warning, but you have to be paying attention for the warning to mean something. And as I told Kinthea, I wanted to do this again tonight because we live in such a noisy environment that uh, signals often get lost in the noise. And if you are along the coast, along the North Atlantic Basin, you do not want to miss this signal if, in fact, La Palma lets go. Okay, um, that's the fun part of the evening. Things only get weirder from here on. No, I'm just kind of kidding. My primary guest tonight is Scott Fitzgerald de Tambla, who is a clinical hypnotherapist in Southern California. He specializes in past life regression and life between lives spiritual regression. And for the past 20 years, he has dedicated himself to guiding thousands of clients to a deeper understanding of their eternal souls and their current life mission here on planet Earth. Scott can be considered to be one of the premier life between lives therapists in, in fact, the world. He is a contributing author to the Newton Institute books, Memories of the Afterlife and Wisdom of Souls. Several of his LBL sessions are featured in Flipside and Hacking the Afterlife, Richard Martini's entertaining films and books about uh, LBL work and our eternal spiritual nature. Scott's session work is also highlighted in Mr. Martini's books, It's a Wonderful Afterlife, Volumes 1 and 2, and Michael Kramer's upcoming book, Soul to God. In addition to his ongoing private session work, Scott presents training in past life regression and spiritual hypnotherapy, offers public lectures on past lives and life between lives, and guides group past life regressions. So without further ado, Scott, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight. Thank you, Richard. It's a real pleasure to be here. That's a pretty impressive bio. Who wrote that? <laughs> I don't know. It's unsigned. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Jonathan Womack with us. Jonathan, if you may remember, uh, holds uh, many hats, uh, wears them rather well, but he is the executive producer at Mindworld Entertainment and has launched a new TV series called The out-of-body experience show, Metaphysics and More, which is on Amazon Prime and a whole bunch of other outlets. And John, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. It's been so long since we talked. I think it's like 24 hours and change. (laughs) And it seems just like yesterday. Just like yesterday. (laughs) So where else can you find the OBE show? Oh, you can find it on Apple TV, Google Play, it's on Amazon uh, Fire, um, Android and iOS and uh, Chromecast and 
as others. Roku TV. Oh, wow. Paraflex. Yeah, Paraflex is, uh, that's kind of my main uh, partner there. They handle most of the distribution. Super. And, yes, and I, your audience may not realize I've had Georgia and Scott on on my show for uh, ah. one-hour episodes. Yes, yeah, they were really very entertaining and educational and informative and so if you have a chance to watch those, I highly recommend them. Okay. Uh, Scott, I want to ask you the obvious, obvious question, given that I'm a hard scientist type guy. Um, how did you get into all this? What was your, what was your educational background? Let's, let's, let's start there. Well, I went to kindergarten in uh, Southern California. <laughs> well, that starts really early. Okay. I, actually, I might have went to preschool. I remember something about that. Um, yeah, this is a so you're uh, so you're a Southern California kid. Yes, sir. I ah, Beach Boys, etc. Okay. Born and bred, Beach Boys and Zeppelin. You know, <laughs> Led Zeppelin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, this is a field where there isn't really a lot of formal education offered. Um, hypnotherapy. It's kind of a you know quasi you know career. Is not really looked at very kindly by psychology and such, um, but uh, yeah, there are ways to. Well, to well, do well this. Let, so, let's not get ahead of our story. Go back to school. When when you got into, <laughs> did you did you go to college? I did, but I did not. I didn't finish any college. I don't have any degrees. Well, what were you intending to do before you got um, interestingly distracted? <laughs> You know, I was 16. I graduated early. I just skipped a grade when I was a kid. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. I would skip uh, school and I would go to the beach and fool around and stuff like that. I was so young, I, I didn't really know, but I was interested in, I don't know how to describe it, uh, metaphysics, magical stuff, mind power, hi history, different things like that. And so I started taking psychology classes along with music classes in school. But the psychology classes left me a little cold. They were sort of, there was no heart in them. There was no soul. It was kind of mechanical, you know, like like the body's just a, a machine. Ah, the very word I was thinking of. Yes. Hmm. Like it's just a robot. Well, you know, I just felt there was more to it than that. So I kind of faded out and did a lot of different things. But then eventually I, you know, I went back to, I was really fascinated with the idea of past lives. Because I had been drawn to other times and other places. Like I say, I really love history. And so uh, there were some books that I had read when I was younger, like a teenager, and uh, there was a fellow named Dick Sutphin who wrote this really uh, uh, seminal book called uh, You Were Born Again to Be Together, mm. which meant uh, people would reincarnate over and over as couples, as romantic couples, um, in lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And so that was a really beautiful book. And being a young romantic guy that just <laughs> living in southern california 
playing yeah. a, a kind of a Beach Boy kid. Okay. Yeah, it just caught my imagination. And you yeah. were what? In your in your late teens? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was now, probably now. Now did this? The his name was Sutton, right? Sutphen. S U T P H E N. Okay. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, he just passed away about a year or two ago. Okay. In this book that obviously had a lot of uh, you know impact on you, did he list experiences? Did he list examples of couples connected through time? Absolutely, he did. He does, and he gives kind of case studies, maybe a dozen or more case studies of like a certain couple, like uh, you know Mary and Jim or whatever. And then he'll he'll take you through their uh, hypnosis sessions when uh, they're living a life in ancient Egypt or Greece or you know Mesopotamia or anywhere, um, Elizabethan England, and then. There are certain issues maybe they're working out. Maybe there was jealousy or possessiveness, or maybe there was a a betrayal of some kind that's affecting their life now. It's affecting their relationship now. So they might come to him and say, we have this, uh, this hitch, this problem. And he would say, all right, let's go back to the root of that problem. So let's not skip over this. This is very intriguing. So did he do like any good police investigation? Did he hypnotize them separately and compare notes? Did they each separately remember they were kind of supposed to be together and were playing this kind of tag team thing down through millennia? You know, to my memory, I can't say whether he did or not. I'd have to look at the books again. So I can't really say for the record if he did that or not. I, my feeling is he did, and they would corroborate. But, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. That's hmm. a good question. Well, it seems to me it's kind of the hinge point, because if only one partner thinks that the other partner is someone they've been attracted to and with, you know, through countless lifetimes, it's kind of like, okay, that's a nice story. But if you have two people, you know, separately regressed, and they both come up with the same, you know, set of correspondences, that's pretty, pretty compelling. Absolutely. It's a good point you make, and perhaps more research should be done along those Absolutely, lines. Absolutely, because, uh, you know, I just lost someone recently, uh, Robin, and, and I have this weird feeling of, of communication, but it's nothing It's nothing I can, you know, scientifically put my finger on. I can't replicate it. I can't show it to anybody. It's just a story or stories. Um but I do have this feeling. I mean, I knew when I was nine years old, I was gonna, I was gonna be with her, when I was nine. Mm-hmm. And then, as I look back, you know, through the last couple of years, there were other incidents along in my life before I met her much later that indicated that we were gonna eventually meet in this lifetime. So I'm obviously, for very personal reasons, really interested in proving. Not in just thinking about or kind of toying with the idea, but in proving what's going on. And, you know, obviously I've got to get a hold of uh, uh, Mr. Sutphin's books and kind of take a look, I guess. I think you might enjoy it, yeah. You know, let me say, Richard, I'm very sorry for your loss. Even with what we know about the 
eternal nature of our existence. It's still a human loss, and so my heart goes out to you and your family. Well, it's been two and a half, well, I'm more than two and a half years now, two two years and maybe eight or nine months, and it's like it was yesterday. It's, um, it, you know, um, President Biden, you know, who lost, of course, two people crucially close to him, his first wife and then his son, he says it gets better over time, and uh-uh, not in two and a half years. No way. Anyway, I don't want to get maudlin here, but um, so you, his his work, Sutphin's works, kind of jangles something. Had you ever had a personal experience or set of experiences that were not, you know, kind of normal 3D beach bum type guy in Southern California? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, uh, like- whoa. By all means, like, tell us, I'll tell like us. Tell you, I'd like to tell you about that. But before I do, let me go back to you and your story. And I don't want to get too personal if you don't want to go there. But you knowing at nine years old that you were going to be with this woman or marry her and all these other sort of road signs and road maps and little, you know, red flags and stuff – you know, I would trust that because when I do regress people, they tell stories like this, like they knew. It was a plan. And so, and I, again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we can go back in a, in a re- regression and look at the plan. We can go back to the time before you were born when you were with her in spirit and looking, uh, look back at that time of planning. And say, well, what were we trying to do there? What were, what were we wanting to work out? We wanted to spend a long uh, life together. We wanted to work on this and that, and maybe have children or whatever happened with you. And then also, Richard, I just want to say to you personally, and again, I don't want to uh, hurt your feelings or be too personal, but in these sessions, we can also visit with these um, crossed-over loved ones. So. I just want to put that out there. See, that's the part that I really find difficult to believe because to me, there have been efforts and the signal-to-noise ratio is like point oh 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 one. It's either we're moving backward in time and so there's a complete frequency mismatch or it only works on certain days because of the synchronization of the physics or it's, there, it's a couple of dimensions away. Um, these are areas that I have huge questions about but very few answers in fact i don't have any answers i just have lots and lots of questions um so let's let's move back to you <laughs> okay tell us about the, the 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 first experience that really kind of rang your chimes and we got about three minutes till the bottom of the hour so we can certainly pick it up on the other side sure thing but before i do I just want to add that I do this week after week with people because a lot of people do approach me because they've lost loved ones. So we do visit with them. So um, we'll let that go for now. Yeah, when I was around 19, around the same time I read that book, I had a, a girlfriend. It was a very, very intense relationship. It was like, you know, uh, Cupid's arrow. Uh, well, this was like a spear through my chest, like, boom, wow, the first time I saw this girl. So we were together for a while um, in school and a little after. So she was going on vacation with her family. Um, she was going out of state. And I was at her house, and we were, I was kissing her goodnight. 
and goodbye, like for, you know, five days or whatever. So our lips touched, and I had this really strange experience that I've not had before or after. I sort of blacked out, and I had a vision. And it was of these two sort of lights uh, in a, against a dark field. And they were sort of rotating around each other, um, almost, like a, almost like a DNA, like a double helix thing. They were sort of rotating around each other. And I just knew, somehow I knew that was us or that was our souls or something like that. I didn't know what exactly, but it, it was pretty amazing. And then... Um, so I opened my eyes. I don't know if we were kissing for like one second or 30 seconds. <laughs> and uh, I was like, whoa, I just had a really strange uh, thing. And she she uh, had this look of almost fear on her face. Okay, well, hold it there. We're at the bottom of the okay. hour. My uh, guest this morning is Scott de la Tambra, And we're talking about his first paranormal, metanormal hyperdimensional experience that obviously moved him in a whole different direction in life. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We will continue with Scott's story when we return. I think you're looking with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globaloni's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency, you're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West, and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the, the Western powers that are English-speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on. I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis really to drive a, a political agenda. And the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case. If you look at what Mr. Globalone is up to, they are recreating slavery. And the, the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight. 
but there are already, uh, I think, some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell, and for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, October 10th, 2021. From the Land of Enchantment, we're talking with Scott de la Tambra, and we're, we're talking about an event in his life that changed his life into a deep interest in soul progression, soul evolution, reincarnation. Do we come back? Do we come back just here? And so we're going to continue. Uh, Scott, you have the floor. Thank you, Richard. Let me help you with my last name. Um, I know it's very uh, strange. It's a French name. It's de Tombe, but you can just say de Tamble. <laughs> de Tombe, so, okay. De Tombe. So, yeah, it's like temple, something to do with the temple. Ah, well, so, that's appropriate. Gosh. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I have to think about it. So, yes. Uh, so you're in the middle of this long kiss that lasts for yes. 2,000 years, and even though it takes in this time frame, you know, a couple of seconds, and you look at her, and she looks at you, and there's this, like, whoa. Yes. We're having this kiss uh, with my girlfriend, and um, so I had this vision of these two lights kind of uh, swirling around each other. And so I opened my eyes, and, and she, I say, I just had a weird experience, and um, so did she, and she was Catholic, and so this is like really weird for her, but she says, I saw us dancing in a fancy ballroom, like it wasn't your face, but I knew it was you. Wow. So it was probably a glimpse of some kind of past life. Uh, I'm guessing. So it was a really interesting experience. And so, wow, you know, that led me to pick up a lot of books about this type of thing. Had you been reading a Sutton then? I don't think so. I don't think I had. I think it was pretty spontaneous. Hmm. But I had, of course, I, I did read a lot as a young, uh, you know, teenager and, and even as a kid. I read a lot of metaphysics. I was aware of there was such a thing as past lives, but uh, I hadn't read the thing about lovers, no. Hmm. And yet that's one of the most important foci of our lives. Absolutely. It, cer it certainly is. And so, yeah, so 
That was a pretty amazing experience. Like I said, I've never had it before or since. And, you know, it was interesting. Uh, if you want to hear a, a yeah. little bit no, no, no. more By all means, go, go, no. story beyond, uh, after the story. That's why we have three hours to do this stuff. <laughs> that's, that's good. Um, so that relationship lasted another maybe two or three years. It was a little on and off stuff. Uh, her parents didn't like me very much for whatever reason. I wasn't sure why. But so flash forward maybe, let's see, eight, 18 or 20 years. So I'm with the guy who wrote the book that I read when I was a kid, and I'm taking past life regression classes. And so he does a group regression, and he says, we can use this for whatever we want. So I think about that girl, and I think, you know, what happened with that relationship? What was that all about? I was going to say, if it was so electric, how could you have drifted apart? Yeah. Well, we didn't drift. She dumped me, so she she, uh, she let me go and moved on. And she was married within maybe a year, year wow. and a half, something like that. And that's part of it. I think she was a lot more mature than I was at 22. And um, she wanted to get on with it. I was just, uh, you know, still drifting, you could say. So we're doing this regression. I'm like, you know, I don't know. Now, when you say a group regression, are you in a classroom setting? Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's how many other students? Mm, Maybe 30. So are we we dealing with the guy who wrote the book, Sutman? Yes. Okay. Uh So he's the teacher. He's in front of the class. When you say group regression, give us the mechanics. He doesn't regress everybody simultaneously, or does he? Yes, he does. Oh, really? I I do that too. Yeah, you can go in a group uh, with a group of people, and you just – it's different than a one-on-one session. I would think. Because with a one-on-one session, you can go back and forth and ask questions. So this is a group where you have – So what's the reason for doing a group if you can't really drill down deep? Well, you can. You can drill deep, but not as deep as you can one-on-one. Like I've done group sessions where people got incredible information. But you have to just ask the questions like, is it daytime or nighttime? Sort of leave it open-ended for them to respond in their own mind. Uh, where and are when you? you say respond, how do they, do they write it down? No, they just kind of remember it. It, it sort of starts to form a story, Richard. It's, it's really interesting. It starts to take on like a story arc. And so it takes on the story, and then I'm guiding the story. Uh, you know, where were you as a child? Uh, did you have a mother? Did you have a father? So what you're asking, you like? or, or in this case, Sutphin was asking template questions. All the people in the room are responding individually. and Silently. Say again? Silently. Silently. Mm-hmm. Ah, see, that's the key part. Yeah. And no, they're not. When do, you, when do you debrief them afterwards, one by one? Or do they just um, tell their stories if they don't feel embarrassed or because they imagine yeah. there are things that are kind of personal and private and all that? Yeah, you're, you're on the right track, exactly. So when I do these groups, um, what I would do is uh, I can't debrief everyone. I wouldn't have time to do like 30 or 80 people or however many are there. Mm-hmm. But um, – so I'll just ask uh, anyone who's feeling brave to come up and share about the story. Yeah. 
The no, brave selection ask. factor. Okay. Brave factor. Anyone who wants to share what they just experienced, and then I'll ask them some questions and, and actually dig a little deep. Kind of like the ultimate show and tell. The, yeah, it's show and tell. Show and tell with other lives. Bearing your soul in front of a bunch of strangers. Oh, my. Yes. I can't think of a more <clears throat> uninviting idea, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm lucky that some of us uh, like the spotlight. So some people will come up and talk about it. So, but when I was doing it, when uh, uh, Dick Sutphin was doing it, so I thought, I'm going to use this to ask about uh, that girl. And like, why did we oh. even get... Why did we even so get So 20, this is how many years later? Like 20, 20 years later, maybe. So you're still thinking of her and the kiss and the vision 20 years later. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, not day and night. I mean, I have uh, I have another life. I have a whole other life that went on. And more girlfriends, was, I presume. Uh, yes. But it was something in the back of my mind because it was really intense. So my question was, uh, you know, why did we even get together in the first place if it wasn't going to last? Good question. Wow. So the story came up that we were in, this is what came into my mind. We're in Europe, uh, maybe in the late Middle Ages or early Renaissance time. Uh, I am a man. She's uh, a woman, a young girl. We're young. I'm like maybe 19. She's like 16. I'm from a noble family. And she's from uh, a noble family too, but not quite the strata that I'm from. So I have a little more um, prestige with my family. But we fell in love. We loved each other and everything. And this is embarrassing to tell, but... In that lifetime, I had a chance to marry someone who was even a higher, uh, almost like royalty. And so I, I dumped her. I dumped this girl that I loved because I was ambitious in that life, Richard. And mm. again, I'm not proud to say this. I was ambitious, and I wanted to to raise my stakes, you know. So I, I dumped her and I married this, you know, wealthy, you know, royal, uh, practically woman. And she was devastated. And her father was really, really mad. And it turns out it, it was the same father then as it was now. And this is why, because now in this life, in the, the late 1970s, when I walked up to her house for the first time, he was there, and he just looked at me with a look of hate. Oh, no like, wonder! I know this guy. Okay, let me let me stop because I you lost me at one part. How did so, you how did you decode all this? You're sitting in a class. Uh, yeah. You know, Sutphin is asking kind of rote questions. How did you get this individual story? Your story. Well, the, yeah, the questions are designed to uh, kind of stimulate maybe sort of a story arc. But it just unfolded. It just unfolded, Richard, like in my mind, and I began to see clear. Maybe I even, after a while, I even uh, kind of um, masked out what uh, my teacher was saying because this story just, it like opened a, a jack-in-the-box or like a Pandora's box. It was like, oh, wow. I started to understand everything. And then I started putting these puzzle pieces together between then and now. 
like why did her father hate me on, for, <laughs> on first sight? And uh, that. So you clearly saw that she and her father were a relationship, and you and her were a relationship from the Middle Ages to now, right? Yeah. Yes. Was mm -hmm. that clearly. the Was that the last time you guys were? I don't think I'm even phrasing this right. Incarnated together. Or had you had separate incarnations and then you got back together in the 20th century? Mm, that's a wonderful question. I don't know. I haven't explored it. Oh. I would tend to think there were there may have been more because there's maybe, you know, five or six hundred years in between. Yeah, I was there. gonna say that's kind of a long time between kisses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A long time to wait, right? Yeah, so I don't really know. Talk about really... talk about delayed, you know, gratification. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's a huge delay. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, but, you know, I always had a feeling about her when she looked at me. Uh, she was this beautiful blonde uh, girl. In which life? This life. Okay. <laughs> With fair skin and golden hair. But she had these dark, dark brown, almost black eyes. And I just, once she looked at me, I always thought of Egypt for some reason. Hmm. But, yeah, I haven't really explored other lives with her. I've, Why not? I've, what are you waiting well, I for? Have, I have other relationships, Richard. I have other women in my life. Yeah, but this was the first one. Well, it was the first uh, real intense one, yeah. All right. Um, here's a dumb, another dumb question. Did you <laughs> no, just awesome. did, did you just randomly get together the swirl of the vortices of time, or did you each seek out each other? Uh, this too, I haven't explored, oh. Richard. I have to just say, I, I don't know. I don't know, but I think we've probably been uh, together many, many, many times because when I first saw her, it was like boom. You know, I mean, wow, it hit me. Did you ever oh. watch Star Trek? Absolutely. Okay, first, it. remember A City on the Edge of Forever? Oh, yes. Remember The Guardian of John, Forever? John Collins, right? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay, yes. remember Spock's theory is that there are these currents in space-time that bring events mm. and people together? Vaguely, is, yeah. Is that, well, that was really, it was Harlan Ellison's story, and Harlan was a really genius guy. So, um... Are there currents that bring us together again and again and again? Or have we known so many people in so many lives that it's kind of like Times Square? It's hard not to bump into somebody you've <laughs> kind of been around before. That's a great question. I love the way you think. Uh, yes, yes, and yes. Oh. Uh, I would say... You know, as souls, I don't know how old we are or if we're almost eternal or if we started with the Big Bang or before that. I don't really know. But many of us, uh, most of us, if not all of us, have been around a long time, a very long time. And it's a very big universe. And so there's so many uh, Opportunities to incarnate so many lifetimes. Yes, over time, over centuries, over millennia, you'll meet a lot of people and become close to quite a lot of people. So hmm. after a while, yes, it would feel like. See, going going back to my personal experience, um, you know, I'm reasonably up there, and 
I've known a lot of women. There was only one Robin. And I knew we were supposed to be together through all kinds of thick and thin and ups and downs and travoils and all the usual nonsense. She was it. And I've never felt that way about any other woman I have ever known. I mean, they've been nice. They've been interesting. They've been, you know, I've, I've loved them, but not like my relationship with Robin. So my question is, are these special pairings really rare or are they just rare because we remember them more than the other ones or whatever I mean by that? I would say no, they're not rare. Uh, most of us have. Then what makes them special? Well, most of us have. Why should we, we pay attention call, at all then? Most of us have what we would call a primary soulmate. We have many soulmates. There are many souls that we travel with, like I say, over the millennia that we're close to. We have soul groups, just like families on earth. But many of us have a primary soulmate, the one that we're close, closer to than any other soul in the whole of existence. And so I would tend to guess that you and Robin fit into that category. And so, yes, for you too, you are very special to each other. You're the most special soul, again, in, 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 in existence. And so back to your – and this ties in with your what well, you were talking about, the currents of time. Mm. Is it the currents of time that bring us together or is it us? Is it our decision? Because, again, in these pre-life planning sessions – we usually plan our lives. And so I would venture to say that you and Robin had planned to be together in this life. Robin and Richard, you made a plan before you even incarnated. And there were maybe signs or red flags or like, like when you were nine years old. You knew. I mean, nine years old, I mean, come on. That's pretty young and that's pretty special. So – you know, well, what's so weird, I mean, Robin's death was so tragic, and at nine, um, I knew it was going to end tragically. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an anticipation. It was, you know, a nine-year-old kid uh, bawling his eyes out and not understanding at all why, only in the retrospect of all these decades, looking back at all these dots on a chain, you know, there's unequivocal, to me anyway, evidence that, yeah, she was the one. But it wasn't a happy anticipation. It was it was like a, a future that was immutable, could not be changed, was so tragic, and yet not a damn thing could be done to alter it. And that seems pretty, pretty negative. She was the one, and you're going to lose her. Yeah, that's pretty rough. At nine. I mean, yeah, nine years old. Uh, not really even knowing what no, true love is. No, perhaps. of course not, no. And what well, was so interesting is that the, the, the trigger was someone who is known world – in fact, she was, she was the most famous woman in the world, and she obviously now in retrospect, she was a stand-in for Robin, and her name was Lucille Ball. And she did with Desi a movie back in 1954 called The Very, Very Long Trailer. 
and it was supposed to be a comedy. And it was fun, and after the movie was over, we're, we watched a lot of movies and drive-ins in those days because it was, you know, when you have a bunch of kids, taking them all into a theater was something the parents did not do. Drive-ins were really great because you could contain the ruckus in one car. So, uh, you know, they couldn't understand why I'm sitting there in the back seat bawling my eyes out after a wonderful comedy with Lucy and Desi. And it's only been in the last two and a half years that I've kind of put the pieces together and realized that she was a stand-in. I mean, I even used to joke about, you know, Robin being like Lucy without making this association. So. That's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, you know, you could be at the drive-in and watching this movie and it's stimulating, it's triggering uh, well, it's deep- like, it's like to me that the future was fixed, and regardless of what I did or she did, we were destined, like some Shakespearean tragedy, to live out this tragedy, and nothing we could do would avert it, which is a really dismal projection of the future. Uh, yeah, especially for a nine-year-old. I mean, if you want to talk about uh, destiny versus free will and that yep, kind yep. of thing. I'm happy to talk about that. You know, people ask, is it is it all planned? Is it all written? Or do we have free will? And I would say, yes, both. There is a plan. That's very Heisenbergian. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, there is a plan. There is a framework. Yeah, but you say that. Like, how do you know? Give me your evidence. Give me your proof. Because to me, it looks incredibly... Random, where not there weren't enough clues to even know what to try to avoid. So it wasn't like you know in in the time tunnel or any of the time travel thingies where you see the future and you do things you know to to avert it. Remember, like in Terminator uh, Two, I think it was when she wakes up after the dream and she's scratched in the picnic table with the knife, the Bowie knife. There is no fate. To me, it's looking like fate with a capital F. And I don't like it. I understand. And I'm with you. I don't want to be some puppet of some, you know, plan or some god or whatever. I just, you know, dancing to their tune. I don't want that. And I, but I know that I'm not. There are plans, and my evidence for that is not scientific, it's anecdotal. In these thousands of sessions I've done and other people like me have done, and my teacher in this Life Between Lives thing, Michael Newton, had done several thousands of sessions and uncovers similar things um, that there we do plan, and yet we have the free will to turn left instead of right. So I would say in your situation, um, perhaps you were aware of uh, maybe some uh, tragic ending. Perhaps it was just the emotion of uh, being reunited even uh, in thought or feeling with that soul, that woman that you have so much history with. But was it, you know, fated that she would pass away before you in some tragic way? I would say no. I would say Time is malleable, but that's that's my opinion. I, I can't back it up with any science, but the sessions that I do, I would say there are plans and things, 
But again, we have free will. It didn't have to be that way, perhaps. Uh, but then again, what is time, Richard? I mean, maybe at nine years old, you were already aware now or two years ago. Maybe you were already aware of uh, you being an older man and losing her. You know, I don't know. I don't know what uh, triggered you exactly. Well, Good. at that time, it was just, you know, this wonderful comedy. And it's like I remember feeling that Lucy was going to be the one that was dying. Mm. You know, obviously, because she was there on the screen and I was nine and et cetera. So it's only now looking in hindsight that I can see that was a stand in. Because one of the, I'll, I'll give you one data point, and I'm doing much too much into my own life here. How do we get on this this track? Um, <laughs> we've got about three minutes till the top of the hour. Um, one of the things Robin loved to do was uh, collect rocks, geology. And you know one of the key plot points in the very long, long trailer? They're going up Pike's Peak, and, you know, Desi's driving, and he wants her to eliminate all excess baggage, you know, lighten the load. And instead, she's collected rocks at every stop. So as they're climbing up this steep road over a canyon, all the rocks come out of their hiding places and practically tip them over the cliff and kill them. And it was such an emblematic scene. And it was, I remember mm -hmm. literally helping Robin lift a huge chunk of basalt into the back of the car coming back from Flagstaff one evening because she had to have it. And the damn thing is sitting out in front of the garage right now. So. Wow, so there's a lot of... Uh, oh, I could, that, I could go on for movie. hours. And, yeah, and, and we will not go on for hours because I want to get back to your debriefing, your hypnotic group session, and find out uh, what you learned because these personal ex explorations we can... We can easily save for another time. Well, I think it's fascinating, and I think... Uh... Tell you what, hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning is Scott de la Tambra, and we are talking about reincarnation. Do we weave in and out of each other's lives? Do we, do we insinuate ourselves? Are we brought together and moved apart by invisible currents, by some conscious entities, or by a physics that really is only mindful of affinities. And it's the affinities for good or ill that bring us together again and again and again. We may not have uh, answers tonight, but we got a lot of questions. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show 
and all previous 350 plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.